This Week at Hope Point. When we look back behind us at all the past sins, all the ways we've blown it, all the ways we've stumbled in our race, by doing that, we are taking our eyes off Him. As we dwell on the present troubles that we're in, thinking, even right now, how seemingly bad our life is, what are we doing? We're taking our eyes off Him. When we're crippled with anxiety, as we try to think of the future, what, what's around that bend in the race, that, that, that next bend in the race? When we do that, we're taking our eyes off of Him. And right now, we're called to look squarely in the eyes of Christ and find new rest. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen now as Dan speaks to us from God's Holy Word. Well, in 1914, a ship with a crew of 27 men, captained by a famous explorer that we all have probably heard of, Ernest Shackleton, they set sail uh, towards Antarctica. And their mission was clear. They wanted to be the first people to cross the entire icy continent of Antarctica by dog sled, any takers this morning. Now, Hollywood couldn't even manufacture a more epic story of what was about to unfold. Early on in their expedition, uh, things started going south. The ship that they, were, that they were sailing on, which was called the Endurance, got completely lodged and encased in the ice. And the men were forced to abandon the ship. And for the next two years, they had to endure life on the ice and life in the water. They had to endure attacks from leopard seals, attacks from orcas, polar bears. They experienced extreme cold, starvation, scurvy. Even the clothes that they were wearing as they were walking just began rotting off of these guys. But somehow, after two years of this crazy journey, Every single man made it home. Not a single man in Shackleton's team had been lost. <clears throat> and the ship aptly named the Endurance. And little did these guys know of how much endurance it would take to get safely home. And for us today, it's the same in the Christian life. Little do we recognize, little do we think about the endurance that is required to make it home in the Christian life. So our text this morning gives us a powerful motivation on how to faithfully endure in our Christian life as we journey towards our heavenly home. Now, if you Google the definition endurance, it carries with it this idea of a steady determination to keep on going to continue even when everything in you wants to slow down or to give up. Now, perhaps you have come this morning and your spiritual gas tank is on empty. Everything in you today wants to give up. Maybe it's the fatigue from just the daily grind of parenting. Maybe for you, it's the, the grief of a wayward child. Maybe it's the cancer diagnosis. Perhaps it's the marriage fight that 
you got in not long ago that you're not sure that you'll recover from. Maybe for you, it's that mistake that you made many years ago that you feel defines your life now. So giving up for some of you today seems very attractive. Now, others in here, maybe you're not on empty, maybe you're in neutral. And you've become complacent in your Christian life. You, you are just kind of coasting along, drifting along in your Christian life. Maybe you settled in and perhaps even your faith, you would say you're drifting in your faith. Now, while the thought of faithful endurance <laughs> may seem impossible for us this morning, I want us to take heart. There's much hope in our text this morning. The original audience to whom this letter was written was a group of Jewish believers who much like us found themselves drifting, who found themselves weighed down and weary. Now the stunning message of Hebrews is that it comforts the afflicted and it afflicts the comfortable. So all throughout this letter, the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is like a loving coach. I remember my football coach in high school, loving coach, who from the sidelines is shouting to us encouragements this very moment that you and I need to hear. If we are to endure, we have got to listen to what the loving coach of Hebrews has to say for us today. Hebrews, church family, is a call to fight. It is a call to stay alert. It is a call to press on and it is a call to be strengthened. I wanna share just four of these encouragements from the sidelines that he gives us. Hebrews 4.14, hold firmly to the faith. I need to hear that today. Hebrews 10.35, do not throw away your confidence. Hebrews 10.36, you have need of endurance. How about this one? Hebrews 12, 12, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. Some of you this morning, maybe you need to hear this. Now, if these four words of encouragement from the sidelines are not enough, the writer of Hebrews gives us perhaps the greatest motivation of all for faithful endurance in the next two verses that we're gonna explore to morning, this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. Now I will warn you, yes, this is a familiar passage. I don't know why I keep preaching the familiar ones. But there are great and deep implications for the weary and for the wayward. So let's dive in now and read God's holy inerrant word, beginning in verse one. Therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated now at the right hand 
of God. Now, I could stop my sermon right there because that is beautiful. That's a mic dropper. Now, as we are summoned here to eat upon the word of God as nourishment for our souls, I want us to consider four things from this passage this morning. First, I want us to consider the event that we find ourselves in today. Second, the encumbrances that are weighing us down. Third, the encouragement of those who have gone before us. And the last thing I want us to see from this passage is the example we can look to for strength. You guys ready? <laughs> I'm not. I got to turn over. Okay. The event. Here, here we go. The Bible uses many different word pictures to describe the Christian life. One of the word pictures we see in 2 Timothy is that of a hardworking farmer who is plowing hard heart soil. And like a patient farmer, hardworking, he is waiting patiently on God to bring spiritual harvest. There's imagery in the Bible of that of a boxer. There is a word picture in the Bible for that of a soldier on a battlefield. That is another view of the Christian life, that we are to engage in spiritual warfare, to put on the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6. But the word picture for us today in this text is that of an enduring athlete. And I see we have some athletes this morning, very large football players in the back row. <laughs> and this idea of this enduring athlete that is in a critical race. Let's look at verse one. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. As believers, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it, church family, there is a race that is set before us. Each of our races in this room look unique and look different. Now, you don't have to hop on a plane to go to the Middle East to be on this race as a missionary, okay? Today, in your current season of life, where your feet are is where God wants you to run your race. That is where you have been assigned, not where you want to run your race, not where you think you should run your race, or not where you want to be where your friend is running their race, but God has plotted out for each of us a course, and it is unique. He has called you to this race, and he has, listen, equipped you for it. When we stand before God on that great day, each of us in bended knee will have to give an account on how well we ran the race that God has set before us. This passage tells us something interesting, the pace of the competition, our tempo. Our pace is not to walk in the Christian life. Our, our pace is not to meander along like a tourist. Our, we are not called to, to sit on the sidelines as spectators. <laughs> No, we are called now to get out of the bleachers, get out of the stands and get into the race and to start running. Lace up the shoes and let's go. 
Now, I'm a dad of four, and two of those are little toddlers. And I feel like my favorite phrase right now is stop running. Um, I had made the mistake of taking all of our kids to the public library, thinking I'd give my wife a break and almost had a heart attack. We get there and like cats out of a bag. I mean, all the kids are just <laughs> running like crazy. Stop running and getting weird looks. Um, we have no intention of going to the Grand Canyon anytime soon with the little ones. But, uh, <clears throat> but th- there is something beautiful in this passage. The author is giving us full permission to run the Christian race like crazy. Just go all out. I mean, imagine telling my little Hudson, hey, buddy, in the library, just go crazy, man. I mean, he would be going nuts, right? And that's what, here's the ticket. Let's go crazy. Let's run. Let's run for Jesus in this Christian life. Now, something else is remarkable and beautiful. We don't have to run alone. Thank goodness. It says, let us run. Now, you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, get to run this race together. Amen? Now, there are urgent implications, though, because we are teammates. We're not competitors in this race. We're on the same team. How we run our race will affect those around us who are running for better or for worse. Now, I thought of myself, if I'm running my race with fervent zeal for God, reckless abandon for the gospel, running my race with a wartime mentality, killing sin and and growing in Christ's likeness, I'm helping those around me who are running run to a greater degree. I'm making those around me be better. (laughs) There's a flip side of that. If I'm coasting, and if I'm saying, you know what, I'm just gonna live for my own agenda. I'm gonna live for Dan. I'm just gonna coast like an iceberg. Drifting along, here's what I'm doing. I am also causing those around me to break stride, to slow down, and maybe to drift off course. There are urgent implications because we're on the same team. Now, we often don't think of the Christian life like this, but there is movement in the Christian life, okay? There's not stagnation like a puddle. (laughs) There is an aim. We are heading somewhere, okay? There's a goal in the Christian life. There is a finish line and we will see there's a prize that's awaiting for us in this Christian life. And we must run, the author says, with endurance. Now, I grew up in a family of runners, but sadly the the running gene kind of ran around me (laughs) and skipped me completely. Uh, But I had five other siblings who were, very successful in, uh, as runners, two of which competed in the collegiate level. And I'll never forget this. I'll never forget watching my brother Jeremy run actually his r- last race in college, and which would end up being his last race before an accident took, um, took the ability for him to, to run. 
physically. And this was the National Junior College National Championship. And it was a half marathon, and it was actually hosted in Spartanburg, in Duncan Park, where I live. And I, I remember being near the, near the end, watching these runners come up the hill. I mean, it was exhilarating. These guys were, I mean, fantastic. Now, I, I remember looking, and there were about 15 guys from Kenya who were just blazing, understandable, right? But then all of a sudden, I saw my brother. And, and, and here he comes, the SMC jersey. There he is in the back. He, he's hearing me. The SMC jersey is coming up. I told him I'd, I'd, I'd include this. And for me, I just, man, I felt such exhilaration, such joy. Man, look, run, run, run. Now, for, for Jeremy, he wasn't feeling exhilaration. I mean, who's on the hill of death? I mean, he's coming up this thing. I remember watching his face just grimacing, everything in him, pushing, striving, every muscle in him to try to get to the finish line. And guys, this is the, the image here in this text. In fact, the word race, I'm no Greek scholar, but I find this fascinating. The word race in Greek is agon, which you guessed it, is where we get the word agony. The race of the Christian life is not a leisurely stroll in Millican Park. It, it, it's not even a, a blazing fast 50-yard dash, okay? The Christian life is steady, it can be slow, and it can be agonizing. The Christian life, family, is a marathon. Now, outside of the Bible, perhaps the greatest imagery of the Christian life that has ever been put to pen and paper, in my opinion, was from John Bunyan when he wrote his famous allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, a book you got to read if you haven't read it, especially if you have little kids. We see the story unfold of a young pilgrim whose name is Christian. And Christian lives in this town called the City of Destruction. And he meets a man by the name of Evangelist. And Evangelist shares the gospel with him and he gives him a book, books the Bible. He tells him to read it. And he tells him to flee the City of Destruction. The wrath is coming. Here we go, Christian enters into his race. And it's hard. As you turn through the pages, it is a beautiful metaphor of, of our earthly life. The race is narrow. The way is hard. As he ventures his way towards the celestial city, many dangers and pitfalls, many people who betray him, many things lurk ahead of him on this race. And like Christian, we too are pilgrims wandering through the world and the wilderness. In our earthly race, we too will slip into the slough of despond. We will have to ascend the hill of difficulty. Not only that, but we may find ourselves locked in Doubting Castle, being afflicted by the giant of despair as we go on our journey to the celestial city. Even more than that, we will have to go through the city of a vanity fair. 
when Christian's friend was persecuted and killed for his faith, and when Christian had to put his hands over his ears and say, run, run, run. Not only that, but we will also have to go into the dark valley of humiliation. Indeed, the race is hard, but there's hope. The writer of Hebrews cheers us onward not to look back, keep our eyes fixed forward, and in the coming verses, we'll see a powerful motivation on why the race is worth it, because some of us even today are saying, is it really worth it? But before we get to the motivation, there's a strict and dire warning for us today. There is an action step that we must take from the word of God today that if we are to finish well, we must strip away anything and everything that will hinder us on our marathon. So my second point I want us to see is, if I can get there, the encumbrances that are weighing us down. The encumbrances that are weighing us down. The writer says, verse one, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Other translations say, cast off or throw away anything that hinders you, entangles your feet, and causes you to trip up on this race. The Bible is beautifully imaginative for us as we see this happen. Now, I want us to imagine something else. Imagine a runner who is walking towards the starting blocks of the most important race of his whole life. Now, he doesn't look like Usain Bolt, okay? This guy has on a three-piece suit. Not only that, but he has a big, heavy overcoat. As he's clunking over there in his big boots, he, in one hand, is carrying a heavy, loaded-down briefcase. In the other hand, he has a heavy kettlebell. Now, we would look at this person and say, he's crazy, but we would be more right in saying, this dude must really not want to win. <laughs> if he wanted to win, if he was in it to win it, man, you got to take off three-piece suit, first of all. <laughs> Everything must be shed off. Any way, anything that would hold him back must be taken off. We would say that. And for us today, this text demands action. We must pause and carefully examine our own baggage. What is it in our life that is clinging so closely? Now, in this text, there's two things that are crystal clear. Two things have to go if we are serious about running with endurance. Weights and sins. And these are actually two different concepts, which I'll explain in a minute. Now, think of sins first. Sins are uh, obvious hindrance for us. The Bible goes to great lengths of how we as Christians have to go to great measures to be sin-killing machines. <laughs> we, we see in Romans chapter 6, Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your moral body to make you obey its passions. Throw it away. 
Colossians, put to death, kill what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And perhaps the most stinging of all sin-killing verses comes from the lips of Jesus himself. When he says in Matthew, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Sin must go. Something else must go, the weights that are more subtle and more tricky that are closely bound up with us and trip us up on our journey. Now, the weights, the thing he's talking about with weights in this passage are not things that are necessarily sinful, okay? These are things that can be good, things that can be innocent, maybe even harmless, things that can be secondary but become primary, Things that become ultimate in our life and they begin weighing us down. These are things in our life that redirect our gaze from the gospel. Things in our life that consume our energy, consume our mind. Like a wet blanket on a fire, the fire that we should have the zeal for for God, the zeal for souls, like a wet blanket thrown in that and dampens it out. These are the types of things that must be shed off if we're to run a swift race. Now, 70 years before the epic heroic story of Ernest Shackleton and the endurance, there was another story. There was another polar expedition that wanted to break another record. They they wanted to sail to the North Pole and find a, a, a safe passage that would connect the continents through the ice caps, the polar regions. And they set sail from England to do this, and the ship that the men were on was called the HMS Terror. Now, just like Ernest Shackleton and the Endurance, it too got lodged and encased in ice. And the men had to abandon ship and walk out. But unlike Captain Shackleton, who gave strict orders to his men. He said, anything that is gonna weigh us down must go. Any extra weight will kill, it must be thrown off if we are to make it home safely. The entire crew of the HMS Terror all perished because they were so weighed down. In fact, two of the ship's officers attempted to pull a heavy sled 65 miles in sub-degree temperatures across the treacherous ice. And when rescuers found their bodies frozen, they discovered the sled was piled high with expensive silverware. A cautionary tale, but church, how easy it is for us to hold onto the frivolous things of this world. Must I ask, and can I ask today, what is in your sled that is weighing you down? To borrow from John Mark Comer, what in your lives must be ruthlessly eliminated? 
Think of it this way. What is holding you down that is standing in the way of greater freedom, greater zeal, greater passion, greater holiness? These are what weights do. They get in the way of greater courage. They get in in the way of a greater hunger for the lost, a a deeper longing for prayer. They get in the way of a greater joy that we can have in the Christian life. This is what they do. (laughs) Now, if you're wondering today, pastor, how much do I actually need to throw off? Ask yourself this question. It all depends on how fast you wanna run. How fast you wanna run. So we have seen the warning and the exhortation from this text, but now a powerful motivation that he gives us to endure. And it is this, the encouragement of those who have gone before us. The text says, therefore. Now, students of the Bible, you gotta ask What is the therefore, therefore, okay? This pulls us back into Hebrews chapter 11. This is the great hall of faith chapter. All the men and women of the faith who went before, who by faith, by faith Noah, by faith Abel, by faith, would love to preach on that sometime. But it pulls it together. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, what in the world, where's the encouragement here? A cloud and witnesses. That doesn't sound too encouraging. Well, hold on. This is an incredible image. Right now, as we speak, we are surrounded on every side by a great cloud of faithful men and women witnesses who have went before us and have already ran the earthly race, whose lives, whose example, whose endurance and perseverance beckons us to keep on going. I love how John Piper puts it as he talks about this great cloud. They have gathered along the sidelines of our earthly race. They hold out their wounds and their joys. They give us the best high fives we ever got. I just love John Piper like saying this. The best high fives we've ever got. Go for it. You can do it. By faith, you can finish. You can lay the weights down and the sins. By faith, by the assurance of better things hoped for, you can do it. I did it. I know it can be done. Run, run. Wow. A couple weeks ago, we looked at some of the quote unquote heroes of the faith. Although deeply flawed, by their faithful testimony, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, motivate us to keep going. The prophets, Moses, Elijah, Samuel, Daniel, Jeremiah, they urge us onward today. The apostles, Paul, Peter, John, they cheer. The martyrs, like Stephen, who was stoned, William Tyndale, John Wycliffe, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, all of them say, don't lose heart today. The preachers, Lloyd-Jones, Spurgeon, Wesley, Whitfield, keep going, you're almost home. The missionaries, think of all the faithful missionaries who have went before. William Carey, Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, Amy Carmichael, all cry out in unison, run, run, run. And yes, even departed loved ones from this very church family who have ran the race before us and are now in the shores of the celestial city. They look to us, faithful witnesses, who encourage us now to run with endurance. So as this great cloud of witnesses line up along the marathon that we're on, they have something else to tell us. They would also say this, don't look at us. (laughs) Fix your gaze down there. There is something far better, far more worthy, something far greater that awaits you and is set before you. Which gets to my last point today, the example we can look to for strength. The writer of Hebrews says, it's getting good now, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. I want to say this today, what your eyes are looking at when you run your race will determine the outcome. Where are your eyes fixed? Just think about my own life. When we look back behind us at all the past sins, all the ways we've blown it, all the ways we've stumbled in our race, by doing that, we are taking our eyes off him. As we dwell on the present troubles that we're in, thinking, even right now, how seemingly bad our life is. What are we doing? We're taking our eyes off him. When we're crippled with anxiety, as we try to think of the future, what's around that bend in the race, that next bend in the race? When we do that, we're taking our eyes off of him. And right now, we're called to look squarely in the eyes of Christ and find new rest. We need new rest today. We are to look in the eyes of Christ and look for new strength. Who needs new strength today? (laughs) We are to look to him now for fresh joy. I don't know about you, but I'm in need of fresh joy today. Like the bronze serpent raised in the wilderness that pointed to the cross, that pointed to the coming Messiah, Today, we need to look at him and live. Our text says this, he's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Founder. Some translations say the pioneer. Carries with it this idea of the supreme leader 
who has went before us. The greatest runner of all time was Jesus, who, who ran the greatest race of all time. <laughs> but he blazed a trail ahead of us in faithful endurance. We lose heart by losing sight of who went before us. He has already traveled every difficult path that you have walked and will walk. Jesus did that. He has already felt every stinging grief that has burdened you down in the pit of despair and continued grief that you will feel. Jesus experienced those as well. He has already endured every demonic accusation that has been thrown at you and will be thrown at it. Jesus endured that as well. And he has already succeeded where we have failed and we will continue to fail even tomorrow. Jesus succeeded there. He is the founder, the pioneer, the trailblazer, (laughs) of our faith, but he's also the perfecter. Because he completed his earthly course that the Father gave him, because he completed it with absolute submission and obedience, our faith today, brothers and sisters, is now perfected because of his perfection. Christ has done all things necessary to secure our salvation and he will continue to see it to the end. Jesus will succeed in bringing his people home. You might be here today saying, there's no way, no shot. If you knew my past, if you knew the things I've done, put your faith in him today, he'll bring you home. And that's a massive statement and only he can make it because he made the ultimate massive sacrifice. Our last part of our text we'll see today is this. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus fully exemplified faithful endurance. By enduring a cruel torture chamber called the cross, every heave, every groan upon the tree was for his father. Yes, it was for us, but it was for his father. The glory of his father as he cried out, dying, blood trickling down his face, it is finished. And just as we would sit down after a grueling hard task, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father signifying the work of redemption has been finished. It is done, it is complete. Christ will bring his people home. And even the shame despised the shame because he knew what was ahead. Like just a nasty stiff arm, stiff arm shame away, brought shame to the shame. He shamed shame. 
because he knew what was up ahead. Christ will bring his people home. Now in closing, as we look ahead to the horizon of our race today, as we leave today, and we don't know how much longer we have left to run a race. Life's but a vapor, the Bible says. It's here for a moment and it vanishes the next. So we need to be more urgent. And as we look at the horizon of our race, may the reward of what awaits in heaven strengthen us today. One day we will be free from the chains of sin. No more throwing it off. It'll already be done. It's accomplished. One day our faith will become sight. Just like Moses, his faith became sight. Just like him, we too will get to peer into the face of Jesus. And he'll say these words to us if we're in Christ today. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And when he says those words to us, we will know the race was so worth it. Paul, closing us out, says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Until then, friends, let's continue to run the race with endurance. Jesus runs with us. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.